0: Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God growing in god's word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow jesus this is crosswalk with pastor clay stevens from cross culture church in raleigh
1: when you're in the middle of life situations and decisions have to be made no matter what experience has taught you no matter what others may be trying to convince you of no matter what your emotions may be or how confused you may be you can always stop and ask that one single question what would jesus do
0: Most of us who identify as followers of Jesus Christ understand that we are supposed to submit our lives to Him. We don't always do a good job of it, but there is an understanding that we should place ourselves under God's authority. But what about submitting to those in authority over us here on earth, such as our government or our boss? Does God expect us to submit there? If we find freedom in Christ, does that mean we are free to do as we please?
1: Whatever the stuff you go through, whether things are good or bad, bills are paid or unpaid, kids are fantastic or kids are psycho or whatever the case may be. Our motive always begins with the will of God.
0: Hello, I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today we come to an interesting passage of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-25, through where Peter gives us instruction on submission. We've been making our way through the book of 1 Peter in our series, Building on the Basics, and we've seen as Peter reminds us that this world is not our home. God has something better for us. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, Peter was also aware that we are here for now, so how do we interact with others?
1: Peter understood that there, was a, that there is an exception to... To the idea of submitting ourselves to authority, and that is when it conflicts with the revealed Word of God.
0: What are God's expectations for us in regard to human authority? At a time when our government and culture seem to be turning away from God, how does God expect us to respond to them? Thanks for joining us for this important practical message on how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, interact with the world around us. Now here's Pastor Clay.
1: We are uh, spending some time making our way through what are known as the general epistles or the general letters. And we are in 1 Peter, building on the basics, that's what this, this series is entitled, building on the basic of, somebody say it, hope. We even sang about it this morning. We are building on the basic of hope. In James, we built upon the basic of faith. Thank you, my dear wife. <laughs> uh, and now we're building on the basic of hope. You know, basic is, uh, hope is a basic fundamental need that people have. Did you know that? I mean, it, it really is. Uh, according to uh, hopefortoday.org, I think it's the name of the word. According to hopefortoday.org, the word hope appears 129 times Uh, ...in the Bible. Hope is a very biblical concept. But of course, the biblical idea of hope... uh, ...very significantly from the general world's idea of hope... ...or what hope is or where hope is found. Don't you think? For instance, I came across this... uh, Survey that was done. It said a 1999 survey by the Consumer Federation of America and financial services firm, uh, Primerica found that 40% of Americans with incomes between $25,000 and $35,000 a year thought their best shot at paying for their retirement was winning the lottery. Uh, Now, that's nearly, nearly half, 40%, nearly half of all people that fit within, uh, that, uh, financial demographic. And that was in 1999. I can only assume the percentage has probably gone up uh, since then, but 40%. In other words, they're hoping that they'll win the lottery and that's how they'll they'll pay for their retirement. And that's really not hope at all, is it? That, that's, that's just wishing. And that is very different from the biblical concept of hope. But uh, having read that, it got me to thinking, you know, well, what are the odds that they could win their retirement through the lottery? So, so I found this uh, just just y'all, you know, and I don't know if we'll go through. It. I'll say all of these. But we'll go through them. First off, the odds of winning the Powerball are roughly eighty million, eighty-nine thousand, one hundred twenty-eight to one. Now I'm, I know that that varies when the pot goes up. More people seem to buy more tickets and all that stuff. That's probably an average. I'm assuming uh, eighty million, eighty-nine thousand, one hundred twenty-eight to one chance that you will win the Powerball. Come on, y'all ready? So you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> right? Yeah, you got an 80 million to one chance. Okay, um, uh, you you got better odds of being an astronaut. Not that's only 13, a little over 13 million to one that you could be an astronaut. Now, obviously, I don't know how they come up with these figures, but it, it, uh, somehow they average out the number population and the number of people that try and apply for astronaut school or whatever they do. Um, if you never try and be an astronaut, then obviously you have no odds of. Being an astronaut, I, I wouldn't think unless you blow yourself up cooking something or something. 13 million uh, to one of uh, being an astronaut. Drowning in a bathtub, 685,000 to one. Dating a supermodel, 88,000 to one. You got guys, or I guess there are supermodel guys too, right? So girls, ladies, if you're single, there's an 88,000 to one chance that you could date a supermodel. I dated and married a super model. <laughs> she is a super model of a Christ-like woman. I, I really, really believe that. So, <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, uh, 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 220 to 1 chance of writing a New York Times bestseller. So, there's still hope for some of us. Now, uh, uh, become a pro athlete, 22,000 to 1. Some of you may have better odds than some of the rest of us. I think this next one's one that was really kind of scary. No, no, not that one. Bull in a Game, uh, 300, 11,500 to 1. Uh, well, look at this one. The pilot of your airliner, convicted drunk driver, 117 to 1. That's a little too close for me. You know what I'm saying? The odds of your pilot on your airplane being a convicted drunk driver. Okay, uh, dying from a snake bite. You can, you can see some of those uh, there. Go on through Get a Royal Flush and Poker. We, 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 none, of, none of us gambled. That would never, never happen, right? Uh, winning Academy Award, 11,500 to one. Uh, being struck by lightning is one in 576,000 chance. But even that, you're probably not likely to die. The only odds of dying by lightning are a little over 2 million uh, to one. And, uh, and then, but being possessed by Satan is 7,000 to one chance uh, that you're considered possessed by Satan. Now, I've met a few people that I'm pretty sure were... Possessed by Satan. But Peter keeps emphasizing that nothing in this world... No, no matter what you look at, no matter what you go for, no matter what you try and achieve, nothing in this world uh, is a place where ultimately you will find your hope, that it's just not found in the, in the stuff of this world. He keeps saying it over and over, and he keeps reminding us, hey, you're aliens and strangers. Hey, you're aliens and strangers. Hey, you're just passing through. He's, he's driving home again and again. He did it in chapter 1, and what we've already covered in chapter 2, he's, he's again, bringing home that, that our hope, our hope is not physical, it's spiritual. Our hope is not temporal. It's eternal. He keeps bringing that home. That this is not our home. But we are here now, aren't we? Th- th- love it or hate it, good day, bad This, this is where we are right now. So the question then, Peter seems to, it's almost like he anticipates where this argument is going to come from. Because he's saying, hey, it's not our home, not our home, not our home. And it's almost like he anticipates it because that would be our question, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but I got to go to work Monday. And do you know the jerks I work with down there? You know, that kind of deal. It's almost like Peter anticipates it. Because we are here now, so how do we interact with the world around us. So, for instance, and this is what we're going to get into today. So, for instance, if I am, as Peter keeps saying, an alien and a stranger, then do I have the right to, came, to claim diplomatic immunity and not submit to the governmental authorities of this world? Can I just say, no, nah, I don't care what y'all say. I'm a citizen of heaven. Oh, that sound pretty good. <laughs> or, uh, if I have been set free from Christ... If I, if I find freedom in Christ, then do I have to submit to, to my boss, to those that I work for? I'm free in Christ. Do I have to? Those are some of the issues that Peter begins to deal with. So it's almost like he anticipates what we might say as a result of the fact that he's been driving home, that this is not our home, that, that our home is eternal, it's up there, and it's what's to come. So he delves into this subject and we're going to see it in here of, of this week and next week just moves into this area idea of submission and, and what it means and what we have to do as, as followers of Christ who are aliens and strangers but who are here right now. If you have a copy of God's word with you, open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. The text will be on the screen as well, but if you have a hard copy, an electronic copy, an iPad, a, a phone or whatever the case may be, 1 Peter chapter 2. Y'all opening there, opening there even as we speak 1 Peter chapter 2 last week we covered verses 1 through 12 this week we're going verses 13 through 25 and uh, hopefully we will get uh, through it y'all y'all all right you doing okay ready to hear what god says in his word to us today submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there, if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Some of y'all are already thinking right now about your job. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to Him. ...who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross... ...so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep... ...but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Pray with me this morning, Father, uh, in Jesus' name... just grateful for the truth of your word and its application for our lives... It's amazing to me how this book, uh, the newest parts of it are 2,000 years old, and yet it is so unbelievably relevant and practical uh, for our lives where we find ourselves each and every day. Uh, I shouldn't be surprised, as your word is truth and any mixture of air. It is inspired and it is profitable for each and every one of us, but it just always amazes me to look at it. I'm asking today, uh, in Jesus' name, that you would use uh, your word and your messenger boy to bring application to the lives of each person here, whatever their situation is uh, in life. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's great, uh, sometimes it, it, it's terrible. Uh, but whatever station or status we are in life uh, today, may the truth of your word be applied to our lives that we, uh, that we would be uh, more like our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, let me share three ideas uh, with you this morning uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, Start off with this one. Our motive. Our motive is the will of God. When talking about in this area of submission, what it means to place ourselves under submitting, our motive should be the will of God. You notice that it says uh, there in the text, submit yourselves. Say it. Say it with me. Read it out loud for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, that one, that one line right there, that one statement right there is worth the price of admission today. That whatever your station in life, whatever the, the stuff you go through, whatever, whether things are good or bad, bills are paid or unpaid, a car is running great, or giving you trouble, kids are, are fantastic, or kids are, Psycho, or whatever the case may be, our motive always begins with the will of God, and placing ourselves under His will for our lives. And so, uh, in verse I think verse thirteen, he says, "Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every." human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or whatever the case may be as he goes on, to submit ourselves to the human institution of government. Now, don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way. I love my country. I do love my country. Every time I go overseas... Uh, I'm reminded just how great this nation is uh, and how blessed we are as a country. There's no question about it. But when you grow up in a nation that um, teaches you from earliest age, hopefully they teach you this in your history classes, but they, they teach you about our Declaration of Independence and these certain inalienable rights that we have as Americans, right? Namely, Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Great words. But when when you grow up in a nation that emphasizes so strongly, as our nation does, the individual rights of every single person. When you grow up in a nation that teaches you it's about your rights, it's about your independence, it's about what you have the right to do. When we grow up in a nation that teaches us that, it can be very difficult to let go of that when God calls us to. And God calls us, just to remind you, if we're his follower, God calls us to die to ourselves. He calls us to think of others before ourselves. In other words, even though I may have the right to this or the right to that, God's call on our lives is to die. And I love our nation. Again, I love our nation. I'm just saying to you that as a follower of Jesus, we, we, ha- we have to separate our Americanism from our following Jesus, you understand. There's a sense that we have to separate those those ideas. That it's not about my individual rights necessarily as part of the body of Christ and His will and His call for my life. Now, Peter is not endorsing any one particular kind of government over another kind of government or anything like that. He's simply saying that the that the institution of government that God has ordained that government exists for the for the purposes of a, a nation that has law and order where those who do wrong uh, can have the expectation of being punished, and those who do right can have the expectation to live in peace. And it is for that purpose that God ordains the, the, this thing that we call human government. It is, in essence, to prevent uh, what we find in Judges chapter 17 and chapter 25, one. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, you can only imagine... Well, some would argue that we're moving towards that pretty rapidly in this nation. But you can imagine the anarchy that results from the idea that every person can just decide for themselves what is right or what is wrong. So he says, no, that government exists for the purposes of keeping law and keeping order, it exists for the purposes of people being able to live in peace. And by doing that... We're able to silence those who, in ignorance, he's not insulting them, he's just saying who, who just don't know any better. So you have to remember, remember this, and I, I touched on this last week. But the context for this call to submit to government actually starts in verse 12 of chapter 2, where Peter says, uh, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Remember, in that in that context, just referring to people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Really, who's referring to? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, um, there was this uh, this general practice in in those days that. Uh, that the emperor was was worshipped. It was an expectation of the citizens of the Roman Empire that the emperor would be worshipped. It was emperor worship. It was, he was thought of as a deity. Plus, they had plenty of other uh, gods and deities of mythology, of Roman mythology, and, and that sort of thing. And there was an expectation that you would submit to them. Well, the followers of Jesus understood there was only one God, and he was the one true God, and so they were not going to uh, worship this, these, this idea of, of a false god. And so the non believers were saying y'all, y'all are doing evil y'all are doing wrong y'all won't y'all won't worship the emperor y'all won't go to the temples y'all won't y'all won't uh, do the deal with all the other gods and if we get a if we get a drought it's going to be on it's because of y'all if we lose a battle it's because of those stinking christians and that's what they're saying they're, you're they are saying you are you are doing evil and so peter essentially says hey guys uh, it's, it's Since we're saying we're not going to worship these other gods because of the one true God, it's God's reputation on the line here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be the very best citizens that we can possibly be. We're going to submit to those in authority above us, uh, good, bad Right, wrong, evil, and I'll talk about our response in just a moment. He says, but we're going to be the best citizens. We're going to treat uh, people right all the time. We're going to treat all people right all the time. And we're going to do it because it's the will of God. That it—that it's God's will that we would act in this way. And so we're not going to be thought of as the worst citizens. We're going to be the best citizens because by doing that, he says, we will, again, silence those who who speak in ignorance about what they don't know about. The ignorance of foolish men. By the way, the word silence there uh, literally means to muzzle. To, so that when they see, in other words, when they see your actions, when they see how, how, what a great citizen you're being for your country, that, that they just, oh, I just need to just close my mouth because of who they are. You know, I, I didn't see, I, didn't, I hadn't even seen the highlights of the uh, UNC Florida, uh, North Carolina State game uh, yesterday. But I know this does go on at, at games uh, now and again, that it could be that uh, in the midst of that game that was played in Raleigh, that as UNC was scoring, I think, 35 points in the first quarter, it could be that at some point, and y'all have seen this on TV, when, that, when, the, when, the, when a UNC player scored a touchdown, and he comes to the end, the end zone, he looks at the end zone and, and uh, wherever all the students are, and what, what, is he, what does he sometimes do? Shh, shh. y'all ever seen that? That Cam, I think Cam does that sometimes after he you know, reveals that he's Superman and if he's in an opposing stadium, sometimes he'll go, shh, what are they saying? What are they doing? My actions put you to silence. My actions make you be quiet. Now, I understand in an athletic endeavor, they're doing it antagonistically. That's not why we do it as followers of Jesus. But in the same way, our actions should speak louder than their words. Man, they're the best citizens, those Christians. I don't know if I believe in that whole Jesus stuff, but they're the best citizens. You know, evangelical followers of Jesus, those that believe God's word is true and try and adhere to it, uh, we, we, get, we get hammered. Uh, in mainstream media, oftentimes, we get hammered by our culture when we take stands for things like saying that that all all lives matter, even lives still in the womb. Or when we take a stand like God has, has already ordained and declared that that marriage, uh, biblically, historically, universally, has always been recognized as between one man and one woman. You take stands like that based on God's word, you, you get hammered in the media. There's no question about that. But do you know that when, uh, the, the, it's been a while, but when the Twin Towers uh, fell, uh, as you can imagine, uh, it, it, it created, when, when the towers fell, it's an enormous amount of just dust and debris that was slung for blocks. And many of the apartments where people lived near there, the apartments literally were covered in soot and dust. It came flying in out through cracks and through vents or open windows. However they did, the apartments were just covered in, in dust and debris. When uh, officials began the cleanup process, many of the apartment owners began to file complaints about contracted uh, cleaners in their apartments stealing things. So you know what they did? There were Southern Baptists there in New York City. I thought you all were going to say, New York City? There were Southern Baptists there in New York City that were there, had food stations set up. They were feeding first responders, were people that had been thrown out of their apartment, whatever. They were trying to provide, they were providing meals for them. Officials came to those teams that were there working and they said, listen, would you consider taking on the responsibility of cleaning out, cleaning those apartments for those people? And here's, here's what they said: We know we can trust your people. That's what Peter's talking about here. It's that it's that our actions speak louder than their words. So that when they say, "Oh, they're those crazy Bible thumping Jesus freaks," they da da, da da But that that our citizenship would be such that they would say, "Wow, wow, that's that's the will of God, ladies and gentlemen." Uh, a number of years ago, I was in uh, Sri Lanka, and some of you were on that on that team in Sri Lanka. We were after the tsunami went through there and we were rebuilding houses and, and it, man, it was hard work and it was hot and it was everything. It's it still the hardest work I've ever done on a mission trip. Um, but this one, I remember this one guy that came up to us and uh, I believe, if I remember right, he was Hindu. And he, here's what he said. He said, only the Jesus people have come to help us. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. God is glorified. It's his will when we, when we do this. So whatever... The, the, the situation is, it's placing ourselves under the authorities that are above us, the government. The one exception, the one exception, is when that government, or official, or you know whoever it is, demands that we do something that is contrary to the will and word of God. That would be an exception. Okay, and, and you could probably gather that from the context. I mean, this is all set up by the fact that the Christians that Peter's writing to were refusing to, to worship uh, the, the emperor. So they were disobeying uh, the law. Because there was a greater law, it's the word of God. As a matter of fact, Peter himself does it. Do you remember the story in Acts chapter 5? The religious leaders uh, said, you got to stop preaching in this name of Jesus and telling everybody we we killed him. Remember the story? This is Peter himself who just told us, submit, in all, submit to those in authority. In Acts chapter 5, he says this to the religious leaders. Um, uh, the soldiers brought the apostles to the meeting and made them stand before the leaders. And the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in that name. But look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are trying to make us responsible for this man's death. Look at it. Peter and the other apostles answered, say it with me out loud, if you will, we must obey God, not human authority. So Peter understood that there, was a, that there is an exception to the idea of submitting ourselves to authority. And that is when it, you know, when it conflicts with the revealed word of God. By the way, you have to be ready to suffer the consequences of that if you do it, and hopefully you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to say, listen, I've got to go with God. This is, as Peter said here, they were fully ready to suffer whatever the consequences would be of taking that stand. But, but our motive for doing what we do is the will of God. And he uses it to speak into other people's lives. Let me give you a second one uh, this morning. It looks like this. Our motivation, obviously closely related, is the favor of God. Let me read uh, to you verses 18 through 20. He says this, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Peter says our, our motive is the will of God. For the Lord's sake, we do this. Closely related to that is our motivation to continue to do it. It is what gets us up out of bed every morning to continue to do those same things that God expects of us, desires for us to do. It becomes the motivation for why we do what we do. The motivation is the favor of God. It's what God wants for our lives. As Peter clearly says, it finds favor with God. Now, let me say this based on what, he, what Peter says here. God, in no way, at any time, no how, has ever approved of the uh, practice of slavery. The idea of uh, a man or a woman being owned by another man or woman has been a blight on both civilized and uncivilized uh, nations for thousands of years. God, in no way, approves of it. But slavery was a reality of the world in which Peter is writing. By the way, slavery is still a reality of the world we live in. We don't think about it nowadays, mostly. But slavery still goes on all over this world. Abduction, forced labor, forced prostitution... Uh, tribal wars uh, still go on around this world slavery is still a part of our world but in in the time peter's writing this letter it is estimated that at least a third of the population of the the known world's population at least a third of them were living in slavery we're talking millions and millions of people living in slavery by the way it wasn't uh it wasn't racial as we tend to think of slavery it was it was it was mostly Military. When, when Rome uh, took over another nation, they would simply subject many of those uh, people—not not all of them. I don't know how how they did it or decided that—but but many of them were simply became uh, slaves uh, in part of the Roman, in, for use in the Roman Empire. And back in Rome and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there, are by, believe it or not, there are even reports of some because of financial reasons. There are reports of some uh, parents actually selling their children into slavery for uh, financial reasons. Now, servant is, is probably not strong enough a word because their service was involuntary. They were, they were forced into this labor. Even though in the Roman culture, uh, s- some slaves were paid. Many slaves, in a sense, to use this term, could advance. They could get into management, if you will, in some respects. And um, oftentimes, uh, a slave could actually buy, eventually, by their their freedom, but servant is is is, is not strong enough word. It, it was involuntary service, but because that was the predominant, um, the predominant model of employment to use that term in those days. Because the slave uh, slave owner was was just the millions and millions of, of people. That's just the similar way it was. I'm going to take it and use it, make practical application for you and I and the nation we live in uh, today, so that I'm not. Understand it's not what God's word actually translates, but for practical application for us, I'm, I'm changing it to the, to the idea of an employer-employee relationship. It's not an abuse of the text. Um, that would be the best application for us today. So it might look like this. Employees, be submissive to your employer with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable, for this finds favor. If, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there? If, when you sin and are and are uh, harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds say the word favor with God. So in in in. Hopefully your mind is thinking right now about your employment. If you're employed, if you work for somebody, some of you may be a business owner and you may have employees that work for you, but if you're, uh, most of us probably think of ourselves as employees and we have an employer, someone that we work for. And Peter says that you are to submit to their authority in your life, whether they're a good employer, bad employer, uh, do right, do wrong, take advantage of you, don't take advantage of you, Your uh, idea is that you are Christ-like in any and every situation. You want to honor God. Your motivation is that, as, as Peter says here, that it finds favor of God when you when you uh, do what is right, even if you're unjustly treated. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? When I was in seminary, uh, I was part of this uh, uh, revival team uh, the summer, Southeastern had at that time called Bone Rattlers, and it's based on uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven and the prophecy of the dry bones living and all that stuff. Anyway, that's the name of us. And we'd go out on on uh, do revivals uh, in, in different play- parts of North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. We'd go all over the place. And it was usually three guys. It was usually two preachers and uh, a worship uh, a pastor. And so we would go and we would man, we would pour ourselves into those weekends. We usually three four days is how long the services would be, days and nights. And it was a great time. We enjoyed it a lot, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't charge anything. All we asked is that, you know, if, if you could cover our expenses, gas to get there, food, a place to stay, you know, that, that's, that's all, you know, we expect. If you want to take a love offering, that's fine, but uh, we're just seminary students, and this is what God's called us to do is what we want to do. And uh, we went places at times where churches uh, blessed us in amazing ways. Uh, but there were other churches, there were other times when, uh, when we started counting up, we were pretty sure that, uh, that, we had, that, that what they had given us in a love offering wouldn't even begin to cover uh, the expenses that we had for that weekend. Does that mean we just say, well, forget this, we're being treated unfairly. We're not going out and doing that ever, anymore. No, because it's never about that. It's never about the money, it's never about claim. It's never about recognition. It's never about any of those things. It's about the favor of God. It's about be- God being pleased with your actions, God being pleased with what you do, with whatever it is you do. Some of you heard me say this before, but I did a revival one time uh, by myself, and uh, at the end of the week, the uh, the church took up a love offering, and the love offering, I mean, God just blessed it. It was a great week, and, and the love offering was so great, apparently, that the deacons decided that it was too much money to give one uh, young preacher, and so they they withheld part of the love offering. Uh, and the only reason I knew that, by the way, was because the pastor I think felt so badly about what the voc- deacons had voted to do that he just he just felt guilty or something. He had to come and tell me <laughs> that they held back part of the love offering. You know, what I said to him, I said, "Brother, that's all right. God knows my address. God's perfectly capable." Of meeting the needs that I have or my family has. See, it's about, it's about the favor of God, not the favor of men, not about what people do. And so for you, as an employer, it becomes not about the employee, not, not, as an employee, it becomes not about the employer that you have, but the employee that you are, regardless of the employer you have. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? It's not about the employer you have. It's about the employee you are, regardless of the employer that you have. In Colossians chapter 3, Apostle Paul echoes Peter's words, uh, starting verse 22. He says, slaves, obey your masters in all things. Do not obey just when they're watching you to gain their favor, but serve them honestly because you respect the Lord. There it is. In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord. That's who you're doing it for, not for people. Remember that you receive your reward from the Lord, which He promised to His people. You are serving the Lord Christ. There it is. There's your motivation. That it's it, it's for it's if I'm if I'm in God's favor, that's all that really matters. Now let's try and let's try and bring this home, make it kind of practical before we uh, move on real quickly. Let's say you work for uh, Walmart or Macy's or SaaS or, or any other number of uh, employers around here, and let's say uh, you've been um, abusing your sick leave. Sure, none of us would ever do that, but but you're let's say you've been abusing your sick leave. Or let's say perhaps you have uh, been fudging on the hours, number of hours you're working. Or uh, let's say that um, that you uh, perhaps your your level of work is not the quantity or the quality that would be normally expected uh, of you. And let's say uh, because of that you receive disciplinary action. Uh, maybe you get a warning letter in your personnel file. Maybe you're terminated. ...for your actions. And you say, well, I guess it's uh, just nothing I can do about it. It's what, what I just have to endure. Peter says, no kidding. Of course you endure that. You deserve that. You were cheating. You were goofing off. You were, you were not being the employee you were paid to be done. Of course you should endure that. But what if your employer knows that you're a follower of Jesus... And because you're a follower of Jesus, you have a strong work ethic. And because of that strong work ethic, let's say your employer takes advantage of that fact and puts work on you that he doesn't put on others for the same compensation. Or let's say that he works you more hours because you're salaried and and they can get away with it. Or suppose you get passed over for the promotion that everybody in the office knows you deserved, but because you're unwilling to play the office politics that oftentimes go on, because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're unwilling to play the games, you get overlooked and somebody else gets the promotion that rightfully belonged to you. What do you do? You may not like this answer, but you keep right on doing what you were doing. You keep serving faithfully. You keep giving faithfully. You keep giving 110%. You keep being... uh, kind to your employer. You keep doing the right thing. You keep doing everything you can that God would expect of you because it finds favor with God. That's what you do because that's who you are. Now, obviously, the employer-employee relationship is a little different from the slave-master ownership. As an employee, you can go out and look for another job, you have the right to do that, there's nothing wrong with that, and if you feel so led to do that, that's absolutely fine. But whoever you work for and however they treat you, Peter says God's expectation is, and you will find God's favor when you conduct yourself at your workplace in a way that honors God. And if you just remember, just what, same thing Paul said in, in Colossians, if you just remember that, that that's what it's about, that God is pleased with that, and that, you're, that really, ultimately, you're working for him. That's what ultimately matters. So our motive is the will of God. Our motivation is the favor of God. That's what really matters. No matter what they pay you, no matter what they do, that if, if God is pleased with what you're doing, that's what matters. Then one more real quickly. Uh, there is our model, which is the Son of God. In uh, verses 21 and following, real quickly, he says, for you have been called for this purpose. Watch this. You, you You have to suffer unjustly. You've been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, and by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. For you have been called for this purpose, this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. There's our model. There it is right there. That's what Peter says. Hey, hey, all you got to do is look at Jesus. Oh, you're suffering. Oh, you're having to go through a hard time. Now, Peter probably wouldn't do it like that. Oh, they're taking advantage of you. All you got to do is look at Christ. He says, "There's your, there's your, there's your model." And listen, here's the key. Here, I believe here's the key for how we take this model and we and we implement it in our lives. Where, where Peter says uh, there in the text, uh, he uh, go back up to the, to the verse before that. He kept entrusting himself, who judges. Righteously, there it is, right there. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's how you and I are able to continue, at times, to be taken advantage of, or uh, to to not to get the short end of the stick, to all of those things. Jesus gives us the model right here. He kept entrusting himself to him who who judges righteously, and here's how he did it. Uh, First, he knew that he could trust the person of God. Listen, you might know, you, you I don't know what you think of your boss, but you may not think a lot of them or you may think highly of them. You may uh, there may be different people that you may think you can trust the person of God. God is good, ladies and gentlemen. God is always good and no matter what others may be doing or thinking that in the midst of that situation you can trust the person of God. And that he is not unaware and that he's not unsympathetic, you can trust him. Second thing, Jesus uh, Understood. He knew that he could trust the plan of God. We we can look back now and we can see that it was always God's plan to send his son to redeem sinful mankind. That was always God's plan. By the way, let that one hang in the air for just a minute. God knew before he ever even created us that we would rebel against him, that we would sin, that he would eventually have to send his son to be abused, mistreated, lied about, spit upon, beaten... And eventually nailed to a cross. He knew that and he did it anyway. That is an astounding truth. But he understood that he could trust the plan of God. God had a plan. The the, the son knew that God had a plan. There was always his plan to redeem mankind. And so Jesus could rest in that very fact. You find the same thing uh, in the book of Genesis, in the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? When Joseph, uh, his brothers, they hate him. They want to kill him. But then they feel bad. And they say, "Nah, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him off into slavery. And they sell their, their very own brother off into slavery. If you've read that Old Testament story, and and then years later, they find themselves face-to-face. They don't realize at first who it is, but they come face-to-face with Joseph, the the brother that they hated, the brother that they wanted to murder, the brother that they sold off into slavery, who was abused and mistreated, and all this kind of stuff. And they are face-to-face with him, and their lives literally are in his hands. Do you remember this? Listen. Get your mind around these verses right here, Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Listen to me, wherever you are in your work situation or your your family situation or whatever it is, can you get your mind around that idea? I'm not God. I'm not their judge. That's what Joseph's saying. I'm not your judge. I, I don't stand in God's place. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Millions of people were saved because of the injustice that was done to Joseph. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's the idea. You can trust God's plan. And then one more, I don't think you have an out, in your outline. But there's one more idea. He knew that he could trust the power of God. Listen, no matter what power the religious leaders thought they had, No matter what power the Roman Empire thought they had, no matter what power the devil thought he had, no matter what power even death in the grave thought they had, it was no match for the power that God has. God can be trusted. And that's where you find yourself in the midst of all of this, that your model becomes Jesus Christ. because it's exactly what he did. Let me me wrap this up. Most of you are familiar with, with the, uh, the WWJD bracelets, right? You've at least heard of them Remember back when they were all the rage. You can still buy them, you still get them, but there was a time when they were, maybe it was in the 90s or whenever it was, the, the, the WWJD bracelets were really huge, right? And most of you are probably also aware that WWJD stands for What Would Jesus Do? But many of you are probably not aware that that phrase, What Would Jesus Do?, actually came from a novel written by a pastor named Charles Sheldon in the 1800s. The name of the book was In His Steps, and it's based on this very passage here in 1 Peter chapter 2. The premise of the book is is that the pastor challenges the people in his congregation to make no decision for the next year in their life, to make absolutely no decision without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? Ladies and gentlemen, no matter what goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what other people do to you, When you're in the middle of life situations and decisions have to be made, no matter what uh, experience has taught you, no matter what others may be trying to convince you of, no matter what your emotions may be or how confused you may be, you can always stop and ask that one single question. What would Jesus do in this situation? Hey, and if you don't have an answer, if you're not exactly sure what he would do, all you got to do is keep praying and it'll come to you. That's it. That's all you got to do. You can trust him. You can trust him with your life. Whether you're abused, taken advantage of, you don't like your government, you, whatever all. In the end, our motive is for, it's just for the Lord's sake. This is for him. Our motivation is to be in his favor, to be in his will. That's what I want to do in my life. I want to be in his will. And he is the model. He doesn't he just talk about it. He models it to us. So the question for you as we close is, can you, do you trust God with your life? Now, before you give the pat Christian answer, oh yeah, I trust God. Before you give the Pat Christian answer, ask yourself this question. Do I live like I know that I can trust God? That's really the question. Do I know I can trust God? Oh, yeah, I I know I can trust God. Really? Do you live like you know that you can trust God? In your work situation, do you find yourself being eaten alive by the idea that you're being taken advantage of? Whether we're talking about the workplace, the home place, or any place... It's about Him, folks. That's where hope is found.
0: Well, there you have it. In the end, no matter what others do to us or how the world sees us, Jesus is our model. As Pastor Clay explained today, Jesus knew He could trust the person of God, the plan of God, and the power of God. You may find yourself in a work situation where your employer takes advantage of you. But as Peter reminded us, when we endure hardship that we don't deserve, we are honoring God. His will is our motive. His favor is our motivation, and He is our model. Living for Jesus in this world is not easy, but we really can trust Him every step of the way. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores.
0: I Get It is available online and electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore.
1: You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here Uh entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get.
0: Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk Message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross Culture Church.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know.
0: Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.